Um, so this class is Why the Gospel is Everything for Your Child. I think that's the title. Um, it's going to be along those lines, if it's not the title. Um, but I uh, appreciate you coming. I'm going to presume that most people here are parents. Most people. I don't, Bennett, you're not, you're not a parent, but hey, you know, one day, one day. Um, and so here's the thing. When you, when you talk about parenting, there tend to be three primary feelings that are like pulsing through the classroom. One is a great sense of inadequacy. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm a terrible parent. I'm totally inadequate. The second thing that's going through your head is fear. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of what might happen to my child. I'm terrified my child might get hurt. And the third thing that's going through the room is control. I'm inadequate, I'm afraid, therefore we need to tighten it up. <laughs> tighten up the reins. Got to get it, got to get on top of this, okay? And so let me just say here, first thing is your child was meant to be raised in the Garden of Eden by perfect parents who were sinless. They were meant to be born in perfect communion with God, with no evil in the world, okay? So the idea that you're going to be an adequate or a perfect parent, you can just die to that now. All right? Die to that now. Uh, the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, is enough. It's enough. It's bigger than your inadequacies as a parent. And as terif- I'm, I understand I'm a parent. It's terrifying, right? God is good. God is in control. Lean on that. And us trying to totally seize control and be God of our kids' lives is really going to damage our kids. We need, we need God to be the God of their life. So we, we need to kind of deep breath, put it in the Lord's hands. So that's, that's our starting point. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and we'll get going, okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you that you've blessed us with children. And we just confess that we feel lost at times and we feel helpless. And we pray, God, that you would give us a sense of hopefulness um, it, that, is, that is rooted in the fact that you love our children so much more than we do. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Okay, so here's the question. The question to kind of start out with that we're going to be focusing on is what is it that you really want for your child? What do you really want for your kids? Um, Think about how much you're investing in your children. How much time, how much money, uh, how much, but really more than time and money, think about how much just mental, emotional energy You know, when your children are there, you're focusing on them. When you're away from your children, you're worrying about them. You're worrying about how you're going to pay for college. You're worrying about, you know, how they're going to make it through junior high. You're worried about their grades. You're worried about their social life. You know, there's just lots and lots that we invest in our children. And so it is critical that we have a very clear picture on what the target is. Like, what do we really want for our child? And so I'm going to revisit that question in a second. Um, But I want to say this. We're, you know, the class is entitled, Why the Gospel is Everything for Your Child. I think one thing we do a terrible job of in the church at large, and this church too, is using the term gospel without defining it. had a Bible study for three years with a bunch of kids, and uh, great guys came every week, very consistent, very smart. The last Bible study, their senior year, I said, hey guys, what's the gospel? And... Uh, crickets, a symphony of crickets. No one had an answer. And it was just like this moment of, I just wasted three years, <laughs> which is not true. But anyhow, since then, 
I open up every Bible study by saying, guys, what is the gospel? Every week, every single week. And so here, here's the deal. The gospel, in terms of its etymology and where the word comes from, it's, it comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which basically means good news. And this word was used, before it was used in a religious context in the Bible and Christianity, the word was used in a military context and in a political context. Uh, the euangelion, when there was a battle, and one team won, one side won, a messenger would come back and would provide the euangelion. And that was the announcement of victory, the announcement that we have won. And then the, in the political context, the euangelion was when someone had, uh, had taken a political office, they had risen to a, a seat in politics, and the euangelion was the announcement that this person is the new magistrate, or this person is the new consul. And so when we take that, that term and we put it, into, uh, put it into a Christian context, the gospel is the announcement that Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death in his life, death, and resurrection. That is, that is the military kind of application. Jesus has defeated sin and death in his life, death, and resurrection. And in the political context, Jesus has risen to be king. So Jesus is now king. So it's the announcement, but it's really just the proclamation of the reality that Jesus has solved the only A-list problem. That is death and separation from God. He's defeated that in his life, death, and resurrection. He did that in the past, and that he is now presently king. Okay, And so because of the gospel, because Jesus has done that in his life, death, and resurrection, that's why, that's why we can kind of walk into this lesson. It's because of the gospel that we can have this confidence that God's for us. We can have this confidence that God is, is gracious, that he's on our side, that he's with us, that we're not alone, um, and that he loves our kids more than we love them. And so it's because of the gospel. And so circling back to that question, what is it that you really want for your child? A lot of times people say, I, I just want my kids to be happy, right? I just want my kids to be happy. You do not, that's not all you want for your kids. You don't just want your kids to be happy, okay? Because happy people... Who, people who just want to be happy, that's all they're after, they're not the people who go visit their friends in the hospital when they have cancer or go visit their family member in prison um, or stick it out in a really, really difficult marriage. People who just want to be happy, they, 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 don't, they, don't, they don't have any courage and they know, there's no meaning in their life. You want more than just happiness for your child. What you want for your child really centers around satisfaction and contentment and meaning. That's really what you want your child. You want your child to have the most satisfactory, content, meaningful life possible with the least regret, with the least regret. So that's what you're gunning for. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at um, this text from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. Um, you might have to share a Bible. We kind of had to every other seat it. Uh, and if you're on the first row, sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't think anybody would sit on the first row, so I didn't put any Bibles there. Um, but um, actually, I'm going to... Here you go. For the four of you, there we go. Actually, here's another one. Thanks, Clay. Thanks. Oh, we got that one too? Great. Sure. Okay. Uh, chapter 6, verse 22 through 40. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at um, this concept of the satisfaction of need. Uh, we're going to look at how that drives behavior. We're going to look at how we pursue satisfaction of need. And then we're going to look at the ultimate satisfaction of need. So, uh, John chapter 6. The context of this, before I read it, Jesus, at the beginning of John 6, has just fed 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish. 
That's what has happened. And there's a story right after that where Jesus, uh, the, the disciples are on the wall, on the water on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm. And then this is on the other side, and, and after, after these two events have happened. And, um, and so in verse 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. All right, so what we have here in the story to begin with is you have people who are in the crowd who saw Jesus feed everyone. And so they've noticed that Jesus and his disciples, their boat has left the station in Tiberias. And so they are curious. They want to see Jesus. They want more of Jesus. And so they say, hmm, his boats aren't there. He's probably gone out on the water. So let's go to Capernaum. That's kind of the next, if you look at the map, that's like the next town down south of Tiberias, the next most likely place they would go. Let's get in our boats. Let's go to Capernaum and let's go see if Jesus is there. All right, now, uh, first off, we want to get a sense that this is not a small deal uh, that they're going to make this journey. As the crow flies, this is about an eight to nine mile trip one way in a rowboat in a sea that is known for like pretty intense winds and, and there's some element of danger in it. So this is not like, let's get in the car and let's drive you know, on 459 from Hoover over to the summit you know, this is more like, let's go walk down to Montevallo. Um, so so there's, there's a lot invested. They do not have any certainty that Jesus is there. They've not gotten inside, any inside information that Jesus, hey, Jesus is in Capernaum if you want to find him. They are guessing. They're speculating. Um, and then on top of that, something interesting is to think about the place they're leaving. The place they're leaving is Tiberias, which is like an academic center in the Jewish world. So it's a place where, you know, if you were looking for answers... You could find them in Tiberias. It was kind of like Athens in the Greek world, or Rome, or Paris, or London. Um, it is an academic center. And so there's no lack of knowledge in Tiberias. And so, but they hit the road, and they go to find Jesus. And they find Jesus, and they go, Rabbi, what are you doing here? And Jesus totally cuts to the chase. He says, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. You're seeking me because you ate the bread, and you got your fill. You're seeking me because I satisfied your need. All right, and so the first thing to think about is what is driving pretty much most human behavior is, is need, satisfaction of need. Um, and, you know, we think about teenagers in particular. That's my realm. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do some really kind of strange things, right? Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of teenagers kind of have that fashion experiment phase where you're like, hmm, why are Interesting, interesting new hairdo or interesting this. And you're kind of like, what's, what's going on with this? Or maybe it's kind of the obscure, weird music phase. Like, huh, you grew up listening to WZZK, but now you're listening to uh, Scandinavian death metal. Hmm, what's going on with that? Um, God, you sure are concerned about what you look like. You, you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you work on your hair until 7.30. Um, boy, you spend a lot of time like working on your sport. 
just throwing the baseball all the time. And you've got the, you bought the little jump shoes. That's what, that was my thing. Was, I wasn't very, I couldn't jump very high. I had like the lowest vertical leap in the whole school. And so I would do like everything, you know, like jump on one foot and jump upstairs on one foot and jump rope and all this kind of stuff so I could jump higher, right? And so what is driving your child's behavior is satisfaction of need. And, um, and so for, for us as parents, like what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide for our children what we think is going to satisfy their need. That's what's going to make them content. And, you know, we all, we all kind of have a strategy, um, whether it's explicit or implicit. So uh, this is not a, not, a, not a set of parents that go to our church, I promise. It's a, another friend who is a youth minister. But he talked about this one mom in his youth group. They, she had a son, and, like, the son was, like, busy all the time. I mean, activity, 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 activity all the time. The kid was generally miserable. He was exhausted and just strung out. And he's like, the, the mom said, you know, my, my goal is just to keep him as busy as possible so that he doesn't get into any trouble by the time he graduates. And so, okay, let's, if we unpack that, that sounds like kind of a simple, innocuous thing on the surface. And, hey, I mean, no need to judge. I mean, no one wants their kid getting in huge trouble or doing something that's going to damage them or another person. Uh, and nobody, you know, hey, it's not, it's not good for a kid to have tons of idle time. But, I mean, so her underlying strategy was, if my child does not get in trouble, then, then he'll be satisfied. That's the strategy, not trouble, not life-altering tragedy or bad decision. And so, therefore, what we're going to do is keep him as busy as possible so that that doesn't happen. So we think that what will satisfy him is not getting in trouble. Another family, uh, when, growing up, they would always say, our job as parents is to raise pro productive members of society. Nothing wrong with raising a kid who can hold down a job, follow the law, and you know, take, is kind of self-sufficient. That's good. We want kids who are going to be contributors on board with that. But, but underneath that, but, but that family, everything was about confidence in the family. Be a good athlete, be a good student. That was the entirety of, of everything that flowed out of the household. And so, so the, the basically, the underlying belief there was what will satisfy my child is for him to be a contributor in society. Another one, now this is more of an implicit strategy. I uh, knew a family growing up where the daughters had a pretty strict curfew, except when they went out with a boy. If they were on a date with a boy, they had no curfew at all. <laughs> right, it's true, this is totally true. And, um, and... They were, pretty, they were pretty tight. They were pretty tight financially. They were pretty cheap. But when it came to clothes and appearance, like, you cannot imagine how much money was spent there. And the mom would always talk about, oh, he's good marriage material. He's good marriage material. That was, that was like a, you know, a, a, I heard, I mean, I, was, I didn't live there, and I heard this enough to, like, know that it was, <laughs> it was you know, a repeated thing in the household. Um, and then even talking about college, like, ooh, you, you know, you'll meet a doctor or a lawyer at that school. So what's the underlying, that was not an explicit, that was, there was no explicit strategy, but what is the underlying belief for the, for the daughters? Yeah, if you get married to a, hopefully to a well-educated, a wealthy husband, you'll be satisfied, you'll be content. So that was what was driving it, all right? And so, so we got to think that generally, we, all of us have our best intentions for our kids, right? We want what's best for our children. And so we want their, their need to be satisfied. Well, the next thing that we look at here is how we tend to naturally go about satisfying the need, how we pursue, pursue satisfaction. Uh, in verse 27, 
Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. Okay, so there are generally two components of the way we naturally pursue satisfaction of need as sinners. The first is we tend to pursue it horizontally, in the world. We generally think things in the world are going to satisfy us and going to satisfy our kids. Um, we, um, you know, we think that success, money, possessions, recognition, popularity, uh, status, um, if Alabama can win the national title, we think things like that are going to satisfy us. No, no personal confession there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we tend, to think, we tend to naturally think that things in the world will satisfy us. The second thing is we tend to pursue it through our control. Through our control. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Oh, my goodness, I saw a bumper sticker said that. And if you love that, then I don't mean to judge you, but oh boy, that's a, I don't like that, that quote very much. Um, but we think that out of our effort and out of our performance, if we can just do this, then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus totally um, bucks that. He resists that. He says, do not work for food that, uh, that perishes. So basically, don't, don't look for your satisfaction in the world. And here's the thing I think that's important to say, is that he says, do not work for food. And, and the word, he's basically saying, don't centralize your hope and your effort on things in the world. We've got to remember that in, in Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew in stature, wisdom, status with man, and status with God. So Jesus, that, so that you can basically break that down into four categories of parenting. The physical, stature is the physical. Uh, wisdom is intellectual. Uh, status with man is social and relational. And, st- and, and um, stature, status with God is um, spiritual. Okay? So like, you're, as a parent, we don't want to just go hyper-spiritual on this. We don't want to go hyper-spiritual and just say, like, school, bad, athletics, bad, social life, bad. That's not true at all. That's not biblical. That's going way to the extreme. Those are good things. But we don't want to work for food, bread that perishes. Basically, we don't want to, to like have this expectation that if our child is really successful, and if our child is a really good athlete, and if our child has a good group of friends, and if they're popular, then they're going to be satisfied. That's just, Jesus says that's just not, that's just not going to happen. Um, and then secondly, too, the control piece. I think this is part of why parents can just, we can just go over the top on our kids' level of competence in different areas. Because we think that out of our control, we can grasp satisfaction and contentment, we're, we can just be so driven that our kid is the best student and the best athlete and that they're positioned, you know, socially the best and there's just, you know, we, we all, you know, it's just really over the top um, in, you know, sub- the suburban United States as far as, you know, batting coaches for five-year-olds and, you know, strength and conditioning coaches for, you know, for the seven, seven-year-old girl who's on the AAU basketball team. And if that's you, and not, again, don't, I don't want you to feel condemned um, because I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you at the, a story at the end of this. Um, I'm going to tell you a story at the end. Of, see, I've already offended someone right there. there, there. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you a story at the end of this that I'm, you're going to be like, oh, Cameron Cole, he's the worst. <laughs> but anyhow, but, but I think that's kind of, that kind of what drives us. And so we want to think that, 
we remember that really what, where our child is going to be most satisfied is the spiritual realm and their spiritual life is really going to be the place they're going to find the most contentment and satisfaction that will pervade all of their life. And then secondly, that it's going to come by faith, not out of their control. It's going to come out of God's generosity, out of a lifestyle where they're depending on God um, and they're, they're trusting him in their life. Um, that, you know, we always talk, say to the kids um, that you know, our hope for you is that you're going to have the most satisfying, abundant, meaningful life possible with the least regret. And we believe that comes in an intimate relationship with Christ where you're depending on him every day. And so, um, and so anyhow, so that's, that's, uh, that's, I think, an important distinction here that Jesus is making to these, to these followers. All right, last thing, the satisfaction... What time is it here? Oh, good. Okay, great. Um, the last thing here is satisfaction of need, starting in verse 30. The, the people say to Jesus, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see, see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so the first thing. The people say to Jesus, hey, give us, give us a sign. What work will you do, Jesus? What will we perform to, to convince us to believe in you? Okay, now let's keep in mind, guys, a few days earlier, they were the recipients of the bread that, uh, you know, of, they saw Jesus turn bread, a few pieces of bread into enough food for 5,000 people. Right? I mean, they saw something very miraculous, supernatural, like you would think life-changing. And a few days later, they're like, Jesus, give us another sign. You know, do something more to convince us to believe in you. And so the thing I would, the, the, the point I would want to make in this is that this is just, you know, I just, you know, made this probably pretty indicting, condemning statement about how we, over -pro or how we uh, focus too much on kids' performance. It's, it's, it's helpful to see here that it's very hard for us to grasp this. It's, it, is, it is so natural for us to believe that satisfaction will come out of control and in the world. I mean, really, it's a daily battle for all of us, right? I mean, we all think, and I'm a professional Christian, right? I get paid to be a Christian, <laughs> all right? And every day it's really like, if I can succeed in this way, if I can get recognition in this way, if, if, I can just, if we can just you know, save a few more pennies in this account, there's this belief that then everything's going to be okay. And so it's a daily repentance. It's a daily repentance. And so if you're like, I feel like such an idiot, well, hey, look, these people who saw this, they were struggling too, all right? And Jesus was staying with them. Jesus didn't go, y'all are total idiots. He goes on to tell them, just to, to basically offer them eternal life. 
And so we can, we, so you can see how, Jesus, how patient Jesus is with them. And so we, and God is patient with us, and we can be patient with ourselves because of that. Um, secondly, I think it is really cool to see what Jesus declares as the will of his Father. And in terms of language of the Trinity, Jesus is using parental language. And so God, as a parent, um, says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So it's the will of the Father that your child will be satisfied. So God, as a perfect parent, is, 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 is looking out for your child. He has, he has this perfect intention in mind, which also gives us a little bit of relief knowing that the, the, Lord, the Lord has our back, so to speak. Um, finally, uh, you know, this, the, the Gospel of John, there's been tons of uh, critical debate on whether this, this is a book written to the, the Jews or this is a book written to the Greeks. And after centuries of cycling, everyone's kind of saying both. It's clearly both. And so we see here that Jesus identifies him as the bread of life. He's speaking to Jewish people. And this was a very provocative statement. Because, you know, the, this goes back to Exodus, where the, the Israelites had just been released from Egypt. They were in the desert. There was no food. And God had provided manna from heaven to provide for them physically during their journey. Um, and Jesus is now likening himself, analog, making an analogy where he is saying, I am the bread of life. So what he is saying is, this world is a desert. There is, as far as resources to satisfy the need of your soul, the need of your child's soul, it's, just very, it's a desert. It's very limited. There's not much out there. But he's saying, I am the bread of life. And so we need to understand that the thing that will satisfy your child's soul the most is Jesus. Jesus himself. That's what Jesus is saying to them. That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's saying to us as people, individuals, but he's also saying to us as parents. And then the second thing he says, now this is now going Greek. This is what he's saying here is very much appealing to a Greek audience. He says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, when we think, when we hear this terminology of eternal life, we tend to think about heaven. We tend to mean that, oh, that means that Jesus will save their sins, so that when they die, they have this confidence that they will be in union with God forever in heaven. And, and that is a Jewish conception of eternal life. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, eternal life is talked about purely in eschatological terms or like when you die, going to heaven terms. It's an afterlife concept. But this book is very much also written to a Greek audience. And the Greeks did not, in, in this context, did not have much concern about the afterlife. They're, in terms of philosophy and religion, their concern was here and now. They were concerned about this life. And so when, when, uh, when Jesus says that anyone who, who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, that is referring to here and now. That is referring to this life. And this is, in no way am I saying, like, uh, me of all people, and not undermining <laughs> the value of him talking about, I will raise you up on the last day. That does refer to the afterlife. I mean, my child professed Christ, faith in Christ the day before he died. Like this, besides my own faith, my own salvation, like the greatest thing God's ever given me is my son's salvation. And so that's certainly something to pray for and be concerned about um, and invest in. But this isn't just to like go to heaven thing. This is a here and now thing. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying um, that I offer eternal life here and now. And this word, this word for life, Zoe is the Greek, it, it's this concept of having hope, Peace, joy, love, contentment, all kind of wrapped into one. It's a, it's a fantastic term. And so, um, and so this is all to say that 
a lot of times we can think about Jesus as like fire insurance for heaven, um, you know, for my kid. But Jesus, Jesus is saying, no, I, I, am, I am for here and I am for now. I am for, I am for hope, peace, joy, life, satisfaction, contentment here and now. And so, um, so anyhow, so as we kind of go through all this, uh, it's, um, it's this progression of understanding that, you know, what is driving behavior is satisfaction of need. We understand kind of our tendency to look for it in the world and out of our own control. In reality, it comes by faith, through grace, and it comes mainly spiritually, vertically rather than horizontally. And the source, like the ultimate place, that is Jesus. And so just some practical kind of final takeaways. Um, you know, our, and let me say this, part of why I'm so passionate about youth ministry is I, um, this was not really, I was a Christian, but I was a Southern Baptist and in the worst sense of the, of the word. Uh, and they're great. They're great. They're, especially today, they're fantastic pockets of the Southern Baptist Church. I mean, it's a vibrant place. But where I grew up, it was, there were wonderful parts where I grew up. But it was also basically, you need Jesus so you don't go to hell. And then you need to try really hard for God. All right? I'll just say, in terms of like what you think you want for your kid horizontally, I had, I had everything. Like I had really, really good grades. And in my little sport and swimming, I was a really good swimmer. I had friends. I had a really nice group of friends. Um, yeah, I, I would like projected like I was happy. I didn't get into any trouble. I didn't go to the principal once. I got detention one time. And I was a miserable kid. I was really miserable. All throughout junior high, high school, college, graduate school, I, I just did not like life at all. I was very dissatisfied. Um, and then after graduate school, and this is another story for another day, that's when I was introduced to, like, to grace. That's when I was introduced to what it meant to actually live by grace and to shift your burden to Jesus and to live by faith. And like every season, of, like my life circumstances have been like much worse since pre-graduate school. I mean, bad, bad life circumstances in a lot of ways. My, I'm so much more content with my life. I've lived every season of my life since then. I really have. Um, I've been content in it. And so I can remember one time I was sitting at the, sitting at the summit waiting for... Um, waiting for anthropology to open to buy your present. And it was raining really hard, and I like, asked myself, I asked myself, I was like, uh, I look like such a good husband. Um, no, um, no, and I asked myself, I was like, am I happy? And I was like, I don't really care if I'm happy, but I'm really content. I'm really, really content. And so that's kind of what we want for ourselves, what we want for our children. And so practical takeaways are, um, and yeah, and so I'm passionate because I want, my ki- I want the kids in our church to know that as early as possible because I really do think it's the most satisfying life. But um, practical takeaways, first off, methodology reveals theology. Like what we're doing generally reveals what we believe. So when we had Tam, he was about three months old, and I'm rocking him one night. Some of y'all have heard this story. And I was going through my hedge, like dreaming on his behalf, right? <laughs> Typical dad. And I was like, man, you know, he's going to be, he's got big feet. He's going to be a big kid. And I was like, you know, those Quanjo boys who play, who play <laughs> guard and tackle at Alabama, and they're both going to the NFL. They played soccer from age four to age 16. Get them in soccer early. Get that good foot coordination. And then, you know, he's my child, so he's probably not going to be that good of an athlete. So um, what we'll do is we'll send him up to the Northeast to a boarding school for his fifth year of high school. He'll get some exposure to Ivy League schools. Maybe he can make an, an, make an, get into an Ivy League school through football. 
And then, you know, and then he's going to go to an Ivy League school. And then he'll do a couple years in New York as an investment banker. And then, honestly, guys, this, is, this really was going through my head. This is not an exaggeration. I'm an exaggerating kind of person. This is not an exaggeration. Um, and, and then after a few years, you know, he'll have made his fortune. And he'll come back to Birmingham. And he'll you know, work for some nice private equity firm here. It'll be great, right? And so, so basically, I am dreaming. First off, all of my, all of my dreams for him are like, one step above my level of inadequacy, of course, right? It's all about, I'm, all, I'm trying to work out my inadequacy as a male through my child. Men never do that, right? Um, and, then, uh, and then it's like, oh my gosh. Like, this is my methodology. What I was dreaming for my child was really, that's what I thought would satisfy him, to like, have a lot of money, to be really successful, to be really impressive, and to be academically impressive. And so, um, and so hey, like, we're all guilty, right? The professional Christian falls into this big time and has to repent. Second thing is, probably the best thing we can do for our kids is to, as a parent, is to dive into this ourselves. Um, you know, I really, in spite of, you know, my, sorry, spite of my, you know, like, corrupt, <laughs> fleshly dream that I just talked about, I really do want, the thing I really do want for my children is to know Jesus in a deep way where they depend on him and know him very close. That's really what I, would, I want for my kids. I want that for my kids because I know from my own life that that's been the most satisfying thing for me. And so that's why I'm pouring on them. So, for us, the encouragement is, to, is really to dive in, to dive in to Jesus ourselves, to, to repent from thinking that our satisfaction will come in the world and to really like test it with Jesus, to really see if, in fact, Jesus would be the most satisfying thing in our own lives. And uh, that might be kind of an intimidating thought if, if you're, you're not a Christian or you're new to the church thing or it's, you know, church has been more... You know, has not really, that's not a paradigm you've thought of in terms of your own religious life. But bro, I, I, bros and sisters, here I am, youth minister mode. I, I just say, I, I, there is incredible satisfaction in Jesus. And so the more satisfied you are with Jesus, the more that's going to flow into your parenting um, and, uh, and kind of keep you honest, keep you balanced, and um, point your kid in the right direction, I think. And then um, finally, just to say, I, I always open and close with this, this whole thing calls us to faith. Like, the temptation here is to be like, okay, what we need to do? We're going to clear the summer calendar, get the kid in VBS. And, all right, we're dropping the math tutor. You're going to Bible study next week, okay? And uh, I don't care how many tests you have tomorrow. There's a youth group thing tonight, and you're going, okay? That is all control. That is all control. That is all us trying to be God for our kid. And so certainly there are things we can do to encourage our child's spiritual life. There are boundaries we can set. Um, but what we really need to know is that each child is individual. God's crafted them each in their own way. And so we, um, we really need to trust the Lord with how we guide our child in this way. E- each individual child, um, rather than us trying to all of a sudden seize control and be God. Um, and yeah, and so uh, God's, and yeah, God's grace is totally sufficient for our failures as parents. They really are. That's why we need to pray a lot. So, anyhow. Does anybody have any questions? Sorry, what's What is the gospel? Yeah. Ah, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Let me get back to you on three years. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was a joke, right? Very good. <laughs> yes, Matthew. The, you know, you say what you do kind of comes out and reveals what you kind of what you mm-hmm. think. Um, I feel like it's, that's really, it, it's a lot easier when you stop and think about it than it is when 
you're right in the middle of sure. you know what's going whatever's going on with your kids. Um, you know, how you know aside from it repentance on a daily basis, yeah. how, how do I keep that in my head and make that flow into my actions? That's yeah, I, really I think one, but it's like seeking our own satisfaction in Christ. And two, I think it really is daily repentance. You know, that's what Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. Repentance being like turning away from self-reliance and turning towards reliance on God. I just think it's, I think that that's, and I even think too, a good prayer is to ask God every day, like, Holy Spirit, prompt me to repent throughout the day. Because you're right. I mean, I'll give this talk and then go home and, you know, just totally, you know, contradict everything I've said. And so, yeah, I just need, we just, it's um, an hour. Repentance is not, it's like an hourly, every 15 minutes, every five minutes kind of thing. And that really is kind of the practical application of the gospel. It's constantly turning away from self-reliance and asking the Lord for his help, his grace, by his Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah, no, not living in like a reactionary way, but more intentional. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? I'll pray for us. Okay. Dear Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thank you for um, dying for our sins. And uh, thank you that you accept each one of us where we are and in our inadequacies and our selfishness and, um, yeah, in our thoughtlessness, Lord. You really, really care about us. And I, uh, I pray for our children. I pray that we would have the comfort to know that you're a perfect parent who cares for them so deeply. And we trust you with our children. We trust you as our ro- in our role as parents. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.